Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. How are we doing? <coughs> no one's looking at me like a chicken, are they, or anything like that? <laughs> As we get into this morning, I have to suggest that we're not going to get all the way through to verse 9. So, the section around... Uh, slaves from verse 5 to verse 9. You can have a little bit of a takeaway. There'll be things that you pick up from this message to be able to carry into maybe some of your own exploration of that particular part. I figured because it's called Principles Hour, we don't want to turn into Principles Three Hours with the good Reverend Rogers. You, you, you need it to be sort of, because I'm hungry too. So we need, we need lunch. Those rolls. They're waiting. Chicken? Chicken. Maybe today. Could be, could be today. Ecclesia. You would have heard that word, right? Ecclesia, once or twice. In its broadest sense, relates to the assembly of people for a purpose. It has often been used to refer to the gathering or assembling of people within a region, a city, or a town, and the purpose might be to make decisions that benefit that particular community. Now that's not a new concept, that's one that we can trace back thousands of years. What is Christian about Ecclesia? Having that understanding, in a sense, helps us to put a frame around this particular text, and indeed, the whole of the epistle. So what's Christian about Ecclesia? So Ecclesia carries a clear sense that it is the assembly or gathering together of God's people. Therefore, the church or Ecclesia is not its own. Robert Banks wrote this, The church is described as belonging not to the people who constitute it, nor to the district they belonged to, but rather to the one through whom it came into existence. That is Christ. However, the assembly of God's people is not just an innovation of the new covenant. Rather, it is a new expression of being the covenant people of God. In this, there is a distinct Trinitarian resonance to the Christian understanding of Ecclesia. Stanley Grenz, who some of you would have read, wrote this about the Trinitarian resonances in how we understand Ecclesia. The choice of Ecclesia as the designation of the Christian community suggests that the New Testament believers viewed the church as neither an edifice nor an organisation. That's a bit liberating right there, isn't it? They were a people. A people brought together by the Holy Spirit a people bound to each other through Christ, hence a people standing in covenant with God. Above all, they were God's people. Now this Trinitarian sense of, of Ecclesia is picked up in Ephesians. We've been sitting in Ephesians for, for a while now, haven't we? And in Principles Out. And I want to, without going all the way back and spending a long time taking us to back from where we started to now, I, I do, though, want to just get a bit of a, a sense for us all right here, right now, of where the Trinitarian resonances are. 
in the ecclesia, as described in Ephesians. <clears throat> Clearly, the, the prevailing sense within the ecclesia or the assembly of God's people, as Paul writes to the Ephesians, is that the reign and rule of Christ is now. But it's also not yet. In the beginning, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, we read, With all wisdom and insight he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, the not yet, the consummation of the age, to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So in a sense, at the beginning of Ephesians, Paul starts as wide as you can possibly get when it comes to being the ecclesia and when it comes to the reign, the rule, the authority and the power of Christ. And that is, at the end of it all, Christ will gather everything up in heaven and on earth into the new ecclesia, into the new community of being the people of God. So he starts that wide, but then he starts to narrow in. So from the completeness of the gathering up of all things in heaven and on earth into Christ, we move to the expression of the Ecclesia as the family of God, Jew and Gentile, joined together in the Holy Spirit. Now we read that now and we go, yep, that's, that's familiar. But think about it back in the day, how revolutionary that whole concept actually was. The articulation and the instruction for this new people of God can be heard in these words from Ephesians 4. These words that talk about how to live as these, this new people. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, in that, Ecclesia can often be referred to as the people of God being a called out people. So it wasn't just an individual calling, it was a calling to the whole people, a called out people identified by God as the family of God. A leader life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Who knows and who's experienced humility, gentleness, patience, love in any way, shape or form in a community of Christ, be it a church, be it a small group, that bonds people together. Humility, you know, I'm, I'm not thinking less of myself, I'm thinking about myself less, right? This, this sense of the other is more important. When the other is more important, there is a gentleness that comes in because we don't feel like we have a dominion and control over the other person and they, don't, and they end up you know, frustrating us when we've got that attitude because they're not doing what we want them to do. Patience, something that I can certainly do with a little bit more, but that, that willingness to go the distance with someone, no matter what, and love, giving completely of yourself for the benefit of another. Those things bind the ecclesia together, and you can see how important they would be for those called out ones, Jew and Gentile, to be able to be one. Making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. You can hear there the Trinitarian resonances, can't you? The Trinitarian resonances as the movement goes from the consummation of this age and the reappearing of Christ to all humanity, Jew and Gentile, being gathered together into the new covenant as the family of God, and then to it being grounded in the distinctiveness of the ecclesia gathered in a household in Ephesus. So we've gone from here, consummation of the age, family of God, to the people in a household in Ephesus. Now, you remember last week when we, when we dived into marriage that I made the point that it's really important for us not to take our own experiences in marriage and then firstly read those onto the relationship between Christ and the church, but we flip the polarity around and we let the relationship between Christ and the church <coughs> speak into how it is for us as a husband or a wife or a potential husband, potential wife, however it plays out. So we, we let the word speak to us rather than speaking onto it. And in a sense, when we get to this passage now about children and parents, it's, it's the same. We let the Trinitarian relationship in the community of God speak to us about the dynamic of parents and children, not the other way around. Because if it was the other way around, and we're starting to put on to God, our experiences that lead to our understanding of who God is, there is no one that would, could ever possibly sit in this room that would say they've had a perfect relationship with their parents. Hopefully. Maybe it's just me. So, as we think about this particular text this morning, there is a need for us just to let it speak to us. So let's dive in. Verse 1. Remembering that the context is Ecclesia. It's not the context of our understanding of the modern family, whether it's from a TV show or from just our way of, of doing family. It's not the nuclear family approach being shoved onto the text. The frame is Ecclesia. All right? So you might want to even think about it. You know, a household in Ephesus where there's 30 people tops, and they might have an overflow area into the atrium, got the big screen TV set up so they can see what's going on inside, and that's the stuff that might have doubled the size so there's maybe 60 people there. Not a lot of people. It's not a mega church we're talking about here, but it is a gathering of people, somewhere in the vicinity of 30. This is where this epistle is being read. That's the context that we've got. So what we read is this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, when we read it in the context of Ecclesia and not the context of just a little nuclear family, it opens up some really interesting possibilities for us as to what is the text saying. St. Jerome, he raises this point. It is not clear whether this, is saying, whether this saying means that children are to obey their parents in the Lord or that in the Lord, children are to obey their parents. I'll say that again. It's not clear whether this saying means that children are to obey their parents parents in the Lord, or that in the Lord, children are to obey their parents. He goes on to say, I take it both ways. We are to obey those parents who gave birth to us in the Lord, as through Paul and the apostles they were spiritually born, and do what they say. And we should submit in the Lord to our own parents, 
from whom we were born according to the flesh, performing all their commands that are not contrary to the Lord's will. So in the context of Ecclesia, there is a far stronger sense of this both-and dynamic of parenting at work. And it even prevails in the life of the church today. There are a couple of families that, um, my family, so I've got three kids, um, Harry who's 16, Esther who is 13, and Anna who is 11, and great ages, all of them, and our family and a couple of other families are really close. And part of the closeness is that I would trust the parents of those other families to speak into the lives of my children, and they do, and vice versa. That still happens in Ecclesia, but that was only born out of Ecclesia because these people are on the same page as us when it comes to being in the Lord. So they would be speaking the life and the truth and the way of Christ into my children's life and have done so. Now think about it from my children's point of view, the richness of their experience of Ecclesia and their parents in the Lord is so deep when that starts to happen. And it's almost, that's a benchmark for what Ecclesia can look like when we are considered the family of God in a particular location. Paul goes on, as he says, obey your parents. Now this word obey, uh, it it obviously has been... uh, misunderstood and misconstrued because of the power dynamic that can exist in taking this text and misinterpreting it. But the word from the Greek is talking more about listening or attending to, and remember, it is a directive for the children, not for the parents. Children, obey. Listen to what your parents have got to say. Attend to what they've got to say. That means an openness of heart and an openness of mind. Now, for the perfect child, that might play out all the time. For my teenage children, it doesn't play out very often. I'm often met with words to the effect of, wow, you would. Which reflects this general demeanor of, I don't particularly want to listen to what you've got to say. Because, wow, you would tell me to do this, even though I don't want to do this right at the moment. I don't want to clean my room. I'm not listening to you. Wow. You said that. Wow. Just great, isn't it? Wow, Dad. It's rich. Anyone else ever heard that? Just me? Wow. That's all you can say of that. But when... You have that breakthrough moment as a parent and your child listens to what you've got to say, takes it on board, lives it out and you can actually see yourself in your child because they have listened and attended to what you have said and they've listened and attended to the thing that is life-giving for them, particularly in the relational dynamics that they might share with another. That is rich. That's where we start to catch a glimpse of, yes, this is what it looks like to be the people of God. So once again, let's let the Word speak to us rather than prevail upon us as we go into 
The second verse. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, and that promise being so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. What does it mean to honor? To honor in the Greek here means to fix value, to fix a value on something as important. Now, to fix something means it's fixed, it's permanent. That doesn't mean that there hasn't been times where, for me as a child, that, that my parents haven't done things that I've been kind of like, I'm not real happy about that. But the challenge, the command is to fix value and importance on the lives of my parents, no matter what. So that I can continue to be there for them. The moment we start to drop the value, the moment we start to say, you don't really matter, I'm not going to call you, I'm not going to invest in your life, even if you're, you're conducting yourself in ways that are contrary to how I would go about things, I will still give of myself for your benefit, is basically what it means. And then to go well with you. Who wants their life to go well? I think we all do. The fullness of life is something that everyone, over every time and place, has desired. That it go well with you. In the context of the great commandments, in the context of God's ways, we know that going well with us means the perpetuation of the ways, the truth and the life of God from generation to generation. It's hardwired into, way, into the way in which the Ecclesia needs to be. And when the fruit of this starts to emerge in our children's life, and we start to see that it goes well with them, it is a very splendid thing indeed. I had a moment on Sunday, I was, I was preaching at the church that, that we go to, so I was you know, standing up there uh, at the pulpit, and we just finished the sermon, and uh, you know, revival had started, and uh, maybe not so much. And uh, the, the music started, close enough to revival, uh, and everyone stood up. And my kids love sitting in the front when I'm preaching. I don't know what's wrong with them, but clearly they did something right. And so they're sitting in the front, and I'm standing up there, and the two girls are standing next to each other, and Harry's standing there. And Harry's about as tall as me now, and the girls started just. I shouldn't have taught them this, but I did, and I take full responsibility to pinch each other under the arm right there, which hurts quite a lot, all right? Don't try it on yourself. Try it on someone else. <laughs> so they start pinching each other, because it's getting towards the end of the service. And I see my son do exactly what I would have done in that moment. He just got Anna, moved her over, so that he put himself in between, that was the proudest moment. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, it is going well with him. Right there. Because he has actually looked at us. He has listened to us. He has attended to the way that we go about things. And then he has lived that out. And he's done that because he's actually gone, you know what? Mum and Dad actually might have something of value to be able to contribute to my life. Now, even though it's a very small example, sometimes it's the smallest things that build the fabric of Ecclesia. We don't have to wait for these massive big moments. But we start to see those little bits of fruit. And we look at it and go, it is going well with them. Because they are looking after each other, or at least my son was looking after my daughters. So we move into, into verse 4. 
And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So there's been obviously some directives for the children as part of the ecclesia. And it's important that we, even today, recognize that children are a part of the ecclesia. They are a part of the church. They're not an adjunct. They're not a little group that goes after a half an hour in the service and they're hived off out here and they're not part of the gathered people anymore because they go and gather themselves and do the things that children do. But that they are part of the ecclesia. And Paul now starts to put it back onto the parents, especially fathers in this particular context, to ensure that they are honourable in order to encourage the honour to be given back by their children. Now, the specific reference to fathers is probably more due to the legal authority that they held back in the day. From this standpoint, it was clear that fathers could draw out anger and wrath within their children if, as uh, Christostom says, they do this by depriving them of their portion of the inheritance and their promises by oppressing them with burdens, by treating them not as though they were free, but as slaves. So I don't know about you, but if that was my father doing that, I'd get pretty toey as well. So is, there is this sense that fathers, parents, can actually draw out anger within their children. And you and I have probably done that if we are parents. Now let me just pause here for a second, because I want to reiterate the fact that once again, this epistle is for the Ecclesia. Okay, so when we read this particular text, I want you to try and imagine that here we are gathered as the 30 or so, you know, some of the overflow with the big screen TVs and all that sort of stuff. And you're getting this epistle for the first time, or you're hearing it for the first time. And you're one of those fathers who's made their child angry because you have withheld inheritance and promises and you've put burdens on them. And you have heard this word. And you have been convicted. Because in the conversations that happened, someone has said, you know what? I know that you do this. And I'm not sure if that's right. I think you might need to have a bit of a think about what this is saying to you. And then think about the way in which that person's life, that father, has their life transformed as a result of that. Because we know that transformation in Christ isn't, isn't some new convention in the 21st century. And all of a sudden, this father's life is transformed. The dynamic between father and son changes. The fruit of that is seen by the ecclesia. The ecclesia is encouraged because the Spirit of God is at work in the truth of Christ and all of a sudden they're able to see the nature and the character and the transforming power of God at work within their midst because the Word of God was spoken and was taught. In many respects, this takes us back to Ephesians 5.21 that we heard last week where it talks about this dynamic of being subject to one another out of reverence to Christ. In the ecclesia, whether it's, a, whether it's a father, whether it's a mother, no matter who it is, there is this sense that the ecclesia allows people to be subject to one another such that one can speak into another's life the truth of Christ. 
there is a genuineness and an authenticity that builds ecclesia in that kind of way. So those hearing this in that context would have also heard the fact they need to be open to receive from one another. How open are you to receive from other people those truths which have the capacity to transform your life? That's a good question for us to be able to think about because whether we know it or not, we're part of an ecclesia right here, right now. We gather every Tuesday and we hear different people bring us the truth of God's Word. And the Spirit can take that mold and fashion and transform us. So we finish with this, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline and instruction. Can have harsh edges to it if we interpret it a particular way, but in this context, how we can read it is it's a mild rebuke and a warning. It doesn't carry the harsh, violent edges of a misunderstood power dynamic between parent and child. There is this sense that it is about a father, a mother being able to say to a child, not just what you need to do, but what will happen if you do that. It's more focused on the relationship that might be broken. It's more focused on what this might mean for your identity. It's about putting the choice back onto children to be able to say, well, you might need to pay heed to my warning on this, but it's your choice if you do this or not. And if, as a parent, you have done that before with your children, you will see that it goes far better to be able to say, well, you know what? If you go and do this, you do realise that this and this and this might happen. For instance... Classic example, small, but once again, classic example. I've been saying to my daughter all year, my middle one, who is perhaps the most accident prone person I've ever met, put your iPad in its iPad case. I bought you one that will withstand a nuclear bomb. <laughs> put it in there. Every single time I see that iPad, do you think it's in its case? No. We get out of the car the other day, the iPad falls out of the school bag, onto the road, screen. There are certain times where, as a parent, the patience and the love of God saves the human being's life. That's <laughs> just me. But in that moment, there was this beautiful revelation for my daughter. Not so much for me. Where she could see that the warning, the warning, the warning had now actually come to reality. And in that moment where the fruition of a broken iPad screen, which I didn't realise how much it cost to fix. <laughs> man, they're expensive. So she's got no pocket money for the rest of her life <laughs> under our care. But there's a moment where sometimes you can put the warning out there as a parent and the, and the mild rebuke that followed was mild-ish. 
But it's about the revelation for the child to be able to go actually listening and paying attention to what my parent says is a good idea. Now, did the value that she had fixed and the importance of what I had to say to her as a parent, did that go up? Absolutely, because she could actually see what I said, well, you know what, I wasn't just joking or it wasn't something to be ignored. But it builds the fabric of Ecclesia, even if it's just between a father and a daughter, it goes towards building the very fabric of the Ecclesia. So let me finish. I want to finish just simply by encouraging every single one of us, whether we're a child, whether we're a parent, or more importantly, as people who are a part of this Ecclesia, to be able to build each other up in Christ. We gather here for particular functions. Where you know we gather here, we might be faculty, we might be students, or but we still gather as the people of God. Let's never lose sight of that. Because as the people of God, and if we subject ourselves to one another, open ourselves up to what the other has got to say, and particularly what the Word of God has got to say to us then it deepens our fabric as the people that God has called out and gathered here in this place. Now, the richness of that community allows us to be able to make sure that when someone else comes into this community, they come into a place where they are woven quickly into the fabric of the ecclesia here. They're not left out there, unknown, Maybe identified because we're like, yeah, I see you, haven't I seen you? No, we want to be able to have, as part of the experience here, an experience of Ecclesia that we can take and go into our congregations, those gathered places, those Ecclesia, and take some of the culture from here to there. And in so doing, we enrich the whole family of God and we help to point people to the fact that one day this taste that you're getting is going to be the very essence of what happens in that fullness of time moment where God gathers up everything in Christ, in heaven and on earth, which we will be a part of. We taste now, but we will know fully in the not yet. Let's pray. God, we praise you for you have brought us gathered us, called us out into being this ecclesia in this time, knit us together knit us together as those who are children who are parents, those who are your people loved by you those who are firstly identified and found in your family God we know that we are your children Lord that Father you have given to each one of us a new identity, individually and collectively. So Lord, help us to be able to live that out in the power of your Spirit today and always. We pray this in your name, Jesus.